On this episode of 22nd Century, I chat to Lawrence Kemble Cook, CEO and founder of PaveGen. Dubbed the Tesla of smart cities, PaveGen's pavement tile solution captures kinetic energy from people's footsteps and converts this into electricity. I learn the story of how it was founded, discover whether the cost of outlay justifies the benefits, whether the technology has any long-term viability, and what it's like having a duck as a pet. Welcome to 22nd Century Podcast. Um, it's great to have you on. It'd be really good if you could just start with a quick introduction about yourself, how you set up PageGen, and a little bit of timeline surrounding it. Great. Well, look, glad to be involved. And uh, I guess it's probably the easiest podcast you've had to do yet. In the, we're, our offices are virtually across the road from each other, so it's rather convenient. Is it? uh, we're in the, the, the best possible place in King's Cross, I like to think, um, on Grayson Road. So it's, it's great to be involved in it. And um, yeah, like to give you a snapshot of what we're doing, um, yeah, we make, uh, design, develop floors that convert the kinetic energy of your footsteps into electrical power. Um, we believe in making cities accessible and we're aiming to be the digital layer in future cities. So whenever you walk on our floor, it generates power, but it also uh, generates data. So we have the ability to really change the way people live and operate in our cities via the data and the energy that's produced from our tiles. Um, I can jump into kind of a bit of a background as well yeah, about how it started. I think you know our journey has come from nothing to a sketch on a piece of paper through to today we're, we're operating in 32 countries. Um, we you know, have a partnership with the biggest conglomerate in Europe, Siemens, um, and then a list of blue chip clients and, and, and a really good revenue growth rate for us. So we're in a really exciting phase of growth, but I guess a step back. Um, I'm an industrial design engineer. I first started my idea after working at E.ON, so biggest you know, energy company in Europe. And I was studying industrial design and technology at Loughborough. Uh, it was my undergraduate study. You know, I was 21 years old, went into university, and I was lucky enough to be asked by E.ON. They said, Lawrence, we're building a team, and we want you to come and head it up. And I was like, this is crazy. I'm 21. Like, I don't know anything. Uh, do you want me to come in and, and start to build uh, street lights that were powered from renewables. Mm-hmm. So back then it was a really different world, but I went into a team and, and started to really lead some ideas around uh, how do we use the sun's energy to power street lights and how do we use the wind to power lighting too. Um, interestingly, you know, it was a real struggle. There was a big pushback because in, in urban development, you don't get good sunlight. Sunlight is fantastic in a field, in a desert, but in dense urban areas, it didn't work. And Especially similarly, in the UK. yeah, look, the UK is not a great place for us. So you're in a really tight region. But also wind is only good if you're high up a mountain or in, in the sea. But actually in urban areas, it didn't really work. So we worked hard. We learned a lot. You know, we partnered with the Solar Research Institute in Loughborough. We, we partnered with an LED company and, and E.ON invested in them after we started speaking to them. So loads of interesting corporate activity happened, but I failed. Ultimately, I couldn't find a way to generate energy from uh, the wind and from um, the sun. So hang my head in shame, I left E.ON. And as a final year student, uh, they call it a finalist student, you know, there I am, you know, going into my final year of study at Loughborough. And, and I, I was pretty frustrated in the idea that I couldn't make it work. So I kept thinking about this problem of energy in cities. And I thought, hold on, 
what if I make a bus stop that when you kick it will generate energy? The idea that we can gamify the act of vandalism. Uh, and I spent a lot of time looking at people around London at bus stops and, and some crazy stuff happened. <laughs> I kept thinking about this problem. You know, industrial design is, is a, I guess, a, an area of, of work that allows you to design an iPhone, design a service, design an office, get into architecture. You know, it's a really wide varying, uh, I guess, a specialist area in that you, you know a little bit about everything, but not enough to build it yourself. So I started thinking, well, what if I could use the energy of people walking at bus stops and then use it everywhere else? So I had some basic electronics knowledge. So I, I built a board and kind of programmed it to, to get it to control as I wanted, built the first prototype. And um, after a year of building prototypes, you know, I won uh, the Royal Society of Arts Design Directions competition. Now that was 5K prize money. Now, right now, 5K doesn't get us anywhere. You know, 500K is, is kind of, doesn't do a huge amount to move the dial, but 5K then, was amazing. So basically, I started going to factories, I started pretending it was a company, getting lots of different suppliers to help me make it. I left university and uh, I, I presented the idea and it got some traction. So I ended up, I built a website, uh, being a rather entrepreneurial student, and uh, off the back of it, we got headlines in The Sun, The Mirror, The Telegraph, there was, it was the early days of Twitter, but we, we got a tweet every, some, every 20 seconds for about two weeks. Um, How big was your team at this point? It was just me in my bedroom. <laughs> it was, it was, I, I literally was just me. I didn't even plan to start a company. And I put my mobile number on the website and, and I was getting a thousand phone calls every single um, week from people saying, hey, can I buy? Can I distribute? Can I invest? And I'm like, whoa. Like, I was meant to go to New York and, and actually work for an industrial design practice there. But I was like, okay, this is exciting. So I decided, you know, with my dad, I was like, look, there's an opportunity here. So... We started the company, you know, Pagegen Systems Limited, and I started my journey. And I think what was interesting is that, you know, in 2009, it was a very different place. Crowdfunding didn't exist, accelerators didn't exist, startups weren't really a thing, the venture capital scene was nothing compared to what it is now. So I was in a really tough place because there wasn't that support network and community. So um, I, I started off, I spent four long years in my flat in South London. Uh, I turned one of the bedrooms into an office. And I sat there trying to build this product and make a reality. And you know what? It was, it was virtually impossible. No one would invest without revenue. This yeah. is credit crunch. Yeah. No one would buy it without the product being proven and validated. And I needed money to do that. So I put my own money into it. And basically after four years, I was at a point of like, I've got to give up. Like, it's not going to work. You know, it was my main... I had some side hustle, but I was mainly working on PaveGen. Um, drawing no salary. And uh, I think that the tough thing was, I was like, look, it's make or break. So... I had um, a housemate at the time who helped out with, with PaveGen and we were like, okay, let's make this happen. So we took our prototype, it was, it was fairly well resolved, like we had allowed the performance to be increased, the, the fatigue resistance, and it, it worked outside, so we, we bought in a, a degree of water resistance. So we said, how are we gonna make this work? We've got to install it somewhere. So we broke into the South Bank Centre at two in the morning and we illegally installed the prototype. Oh he God. had a, a pot of cement, we mixed it, you know, we had this pot, so we're mixing our cement, <laughs> I'm digging a hole, we're putting the tile in the ground, we're wiring up lighting, so that whenever you walk, the energy from your step would power lighting. And off the back of that, um, we took some pictures, you know, we ran, we scuttled off at 5 a.m. Having completed our, our challenge, and um, 
put on the website and uh, I put it up online and I got a call from one of the largest retail mall operators in Europe and they phoned me up and they said, Lawrence, um, did, did you install it? I was like, yeah. They said, did it work? I was like, yeah, it did. And, and I didn't say, did it, was it illegal or <laughs> did not? You break it? So, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't telling any, any fibs there. But, but what, what happened ultimately is they gave me a contract for £200,000. So off the back of that, we raised about 150K, uh, friends and family investment, but very, very quickly after that. So I had uh, investment, I had a team, so I had money, and then I built a team. So we built a team, and I guess, what have we done since then? You know, the journey started. You know, we're engineering in an incredibly tough arena in that we're on a crusade. No one's ever done it before. It's like blockchain. Yeah. Like, everyone talks about the blockchain, but like, no one's really got any usable use cases. Yeah. Uh, there may be a few, but like, there's nothing really mainstream out there. So we've been on this crusade. So you know, we, we raised about half a million from the Harvard Business Angels, raised two million in one of the fastest grossing crowdfundings of all time uh, with Crowdcube, um, and then bought on some really, really high value investors to help us, including one of the original um, founding members of iTunes, who was head of multimedia and entertainment at Apple, and he kind of joined our team called Jeff Martin. And then you know, from there, we, we, we've launched contracts across Nigeria, Brazil, Korea, Kazakhstan. And like, these have taught us a huge amount about technology. Ultimately, it's getting us towards our, our final goal with, with Pavedon of, of being the very core of the smart city of the future. Mm-hmm. Interesting. What, one thing I, I ask everyone towards the start is the biggest misconception or myth people have about technology. So we've talked a little bit about the tech, but just in terms of if people say, you know, you do a pitch to someone, like another way to pitch and you talk about tech, what's the biggest myth or misconception people have? Yeah, I think that for us, we're selling a floor that generates energy. Yeah. It's simple, it sells, and people go, hey, can I power the whole world with these floor tiles? And sometimes people get a little bit carried away because ultimately, your the laws of physics govern the power output that we can produce. Yeah. So we can produce you know, five watts of energy per footstep, which will charge a mobile phone. If two people walk, you can charge two mobile phones. If 10,000 people a day walk over a small installation, you can power the lights around five hours a night. And we, we've done a project with the federal government in the US outside the White House that, that does exactly that. So I think that it's about getting a realistic outcome of what you can yeah. do. So the, the electricity generated, you'd say would, would justify the cost of an installation? So what we do is, as a technology company, we, we're about creating value for our customers. Um, and I think our differentiation across other renewables is we really engage and change user behavior. So yeah, here we are today, you know, I think we've, we've just broken the 300 mark in terms of our total uh, number of installations. And people are buying it because it's an off-grid power source. Um, it's a way to engage people in retail. Um, we've just released a digital platform that rewards people as they walk on our floor. So it's really cool. You, you walk over our floor, up pops on your phone, uh, it says, hey, you've got 50 steps. Would you like a discount on some products when you buy, the, buy this? And, and we're actually driving footfall to retailers through this rewards platform. So like, these are the areas that we think is uh, the, the most amount of value. Um, and if you look at the pure renewables market, it's really tough. Like everyone's died who was standing with me in 09. Like no one's still alive. Yeah. And I think we, we're really looking towards creating value and, and looking where those growth opportunities are as a, as a management team. So talking of values and growth opportunities, we kind of talked about the platform that where you earn money from walking over the, the paper tiles. How else do you guys have revenue streams? So I assume that your clients pay for each installation. 
of the technology? Like, do you also sell the energy back to the grid and earn money that way? How does that kind of work in terms of you guys keep keeping going? Yeah, so I think we, we've got a few different revenue models. One, you can buy a paved gen. Two, you can rent a paved gen. Um, the reason we've done rental is simply that we had a few products when we started, so we said, hey, why don't we rent them out? So you know, we rent them out, we work with brands, and it's a way in the door to start to establish a permanent presence in the city. Yeah. They see, touch, feel for a week, and then they come back and they buy it. Um, and the permanent model is people buy the product, um, we'll connect to the digital infrastructure, we'll power local lighting, um, and it'll be a one-off project fee and we'll make margin of that. And then now we're doing more of the data side. So as you buy an installation, the shopping will pays for it, but then we'll have a recurring revenue stream um, based on the data that's produced. Okay. So ultimately we're kind of moving more into being a SaaS platform. And what makes us unique is we have this hardware component no one else has. So you can combine with the SaaS platform. Yeah, so I think the value uh, and, and the opportunity really is how do we get a unique piece of hardware to do something nothing else can do and also engage people in a really unique way. So we touched on data, could you kind of give a little bit of insight on what kind of data you can gather and how you've used that data for good? So I see you, know, you can gather information on things about overcrowding, so perhaps that's an example. Yeah, I think what we can do with PaveGen is the, the data that's produced can be sent to the cloud. We've got our own API, but what that does is we're not trying to be the biggest development company out there. We want to partner with the, the leading tech companies providing it, and we we can add that onto our service. Yeah. So it gives us functionality with different clients to provide different things. So I'll give you an example. Um, we partnered with the one of the largest banks um, called Bank of the West in California, and um, we rolled out across Denver, Portland, um, Sacramento, Los Angeles, um, and what we did is we allowed them to use the energy from their customers to actually donate their energy towards communities in need. Nice. Okay. So you can say, look, we've got a million footsteps, um, and we're actually gonna make a really big impact from people walking. And so Bank of the West were really visionary around that, and they plugged into one of our APIs to do that. Um, and it, it really enables um, macro change. And we've also partnered with Samsung and we donated the energy of people walking in a mall to power classrooms in really underprivileged areas nearby in South Africa. I think we can really bring areas to life, but I think there's so many opportunities with the data that's produced that we're really, uh, we connect the, the brands, the floor, the environment, the physical environment, to something that's really, really sticky. You know, I think it's about creating a sticky experiences that people want to do. Um, and it's been a roller coaster so far, and it's, it's certainly growing at a faster rate than we'd ever imagined. Nice. Talk about the million steps. How, what would that kind of equate to in terms of number of like, schools powered, or could you have like a sort of equivalent? Yeah, so I think with paved gen, look, we're not going to power the world with the yeah. paved gen technology. So I think uh, a way to look at it is that you know people walking on the tiles, uh, say 10,000 people a day, will power lights in a street in a local area. So if you had a million steps, you could probably power the lights in a street yeah. for like a week or two yeah. off that energy, but it's not going to power a city. So there's an order of magnitude around like what we can and can't do. And ultimately, the value for us isn't on pure energy terms. Okay. The value is more around behavior change, data, and engaging people. Because look, if you cover your building in solar panels, it's fantastic and you spend 10 million on it. Yeah. It's really important to engage stakeholders in what's going on and communicate it. And we are really the, the, the link between that. And so we really provide for communities, for cities, to really be part of the sustainability message through walking is that's kind of we are that let glue. And I if guess you like. with solar panels, they can't necessarily see the implementation. 
Whereas I guess yours is a bit more physical and they can be actually more engaged with it in terms of actually like walking over the, the platform. Yeah, and I think solar panels are like fantastic technology. It's been trillions have been invested. It's been going on since NASA pioneered them, I think in the 50s and 60s. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we offer is a way for people to engage. But ultimately, what I'm excited about is, you know, imagine a floor, but imagine buying a floor and that floor produce power. Now, we've got a plan to make our floor the same price as, as normal flooring. Okay. So suddenly, when you go in to spec a floor, we can start to use those flooring budgets of new developments, um, which is kind of like how Elon Musk is just bringing out roof tiles that generate power from the sun, because you've got to buy roof tiles anyway. So I think we've got a really unique opportunity moving forward with that, and that's something that's kind of will be happening in, in the next kind of two years with our technology. That's a clever implementation, just kind of fitting it in with everyday life, kind of everyday materials and things we buy. Yeah, I think it's got to be easy. You've got to make it easy. You know, we'll, we'll put it into a mall, a school, a stadium, you know, a favela, like you name it, we'll, we'll approach those kind of tough environments. Is there a better place? Like, is there, is there like a, a best fit scenario for paying technology? So, for example, obviously football has to come into it. I assume, so for something like a train station, is that better than having it in a shopping mall? Is there really a difference? Or is it kind of each implementation on its own merits? I think if you look at the metrics of a comparison, say, between a school mm-hmm. and Oxford Circus Tube Station. Now, most people say, hey, there's a school with a thousand students, that's great. But if you break it down, those students are at school 9am till 3pm, yeah. five days a week, so you're losing two. They're also only at school for maybe 35 to 40 weeks a year, max. Probably, actually, probably less than 30, depending yeah. on if it's a state school um, in the UK or not. Um, so you're actually getting pretty minimal foot traffic, whereas if you take those five days and you know, seven hours of use and compare that to Oxford Street, Oxford Street Tube will be getting 18 hours of footfall, seven days a week, 364, you know, 64 and a half days yeah, a year. Yeah. And even on Christmas Day, there's still people there. So I think that we're looking for those high footfall environments um, that are usually public spaces that we can actually start to have a, a measurable, usable uh, benefit from our technology. Nice. Um, in terms of challenges of building technology, obviously it's something that you almost gave up on four years in. Um, what would you say is the biggest challenge or compromise you've had to make over the over that decade? Well, I mean, hey, startups are all about challenges. I believe in uh, you know quick wins and even faster fails, mm-hmm. and you've got to have really bold ideas. So I think that you know, for us, you know, we, I'm a decade into this company. Uh, I never thought it would take this long. You know, we're creating value. You know, our, our valuation. I'm really, really happy with you know where, where we sit at the moment. But I think it, you know we've got proven revenue. We've got clients around the world. It's really working. But ultimately, it's a crusade. So you know, we, we, it takes a long time to bring clients on board. So we may have you know this this quarter we may do two million in Q1. Um, revenue, but that might those conversations may have started two years ago. So we have like a big sales cycle because if you're an airport on the other side of the world, it takes a long time. So I think the one challenge is like managing big, big lumps of capital and having it flowing through the company. So is that why only in the kind of last, would you say, like three or four years that your work's really come into fruition more so? I guess we've established a much more integrated supply chain, okay. uh, much more sophisticated. Um, the technology is significantly improved. Um, and it allows us to be a bit more flexible around projects and, and like that capital flow within the company. Um, I think that's definitely, uh, when you develop software, you never have an understanding of how difficult hardware is with all these internal barriers. And, and look at Tesla, great product, 
you know, market fits there, but they're really struggling, yeah. you know, and I think it's that, that capital moving. Um, and I guess the other side is, is, is um, you know, you've got to build teams that really believe in the vision and find the right individuals that can help you grow. Yeah. And um, some may say that like a corporate person has zero value in a startup, even with the best CV in the world. And yeah, you know, I think you've got to find those people that are a hybrid that can kind of deal with the, the high stress, high growth, you know, the kind of rapid, rapid moving on projects. Um, that you wouldn't have in a more corporate environment. How do you find them? What's the, what's your, in your experience, what's the best way of finding those right people? I think there's loads of touch points. I think that it's really important, firstly, to like define your culture and to have like a, a presentation, like a part of your website that really talks about the culture and kind of really put it out there how it is. Yeah. Um, I think you need to really understand first of all if people are a good cultural fit. So we'll do a filter first and it'll be like a culture check. And if the culture's right, it'll go to the next stage. So I'll only meet people that we call a paved engineers. Okay. Um, you've got to be a paved engineer. You've got to believe in the vision. You've got to be bold and ambitious. You can't be afraid of hurdles. And you've got to come up with ideas you know, on the fly to, to help solve the problem. So we do a, value, a, a mix of you know, thought leadership. Um, I spend six months of the year typically on, on the plane you know, around the world from tech conferences to working with clients and so forth. So I think I'm always on outreach there. It could be social media. And, and, and then it could be straight up, you know, hunting online through the regular means you'd imagine. Mm. If you didn't do paved gen, what would you, well, what would you do instead if you weren't doing this now? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. Um, you know, I'm, I'm certainly an entrepreneur. You know, I'm, I'm really interested in cities and urbanisation and what that brings. Um, and then, you know, I'm also like a, a keen athlete, you know, cyclist, Ironman. So maybe there'd be some way to combine the two, or maybe I'll be doing one or the other. So look, we we will definitely see, you know, two years time, we're, we're working on an exit. Maybe there'll be another chance to build up a company or run off cycling up mountains. Who knows? Mm. I'd love to do a quick fire round with you. Just a few kind of like questions. So first of all, pancakes or waffles? Uh, waffles. Duck or dog? Definitely duck. I've heard I've heard a rumor about a duck. Yeah, I've got yeah, that's entirely true. I know I have a I live on a sustainable eco houseboat in in central London, and uh, I have a pet duck that swims in the river every day, swims back at night, and and hangs out. So it's uh, Billy the duck. She's she's very popular. That's favorite thing to do: swim in, swim out. Yeah, just swim around all day. It's so much better than a dog. You have to take a dog for a walk in the morning and the evening. I open my door, and the duck jumps in the water and has a great time. Um, beach holiday or ski? Oh, that's a hard question. Oh, I'm going to say beach holiday. Okay, fair enough. In store or online? Online. Interesting. Uh, drive, train, cycle or plane? Cycle. Okay. And the last one, ski or snowboard? Um, snowboards, definitely. No good on skis or...? Uh, I've done it once and I crashed, but I, I think for me, I, you know, I've, I've done a season in the mountains. You know, my DNA is in snowboarding, so I'd 100% stick with stick with that any day. Stick with the board. Um, and then just finally, where do you see the future of Patreon going over the next 100 years? So obviously, you're thinking long term. 
Yeah, I, th- I think what we're doing is we're looking to bring out a, a platform of technologies. Mm-hmm. So imagine imagine if you could increase the power by 10,000 times of a yeah. page gen. Imagine if you could start to generate energy from anything with movement. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll leave it to you guys to think about what you could do there. And I think that you know we're working with people building cities. You know, I'm working in cities that will be built in 2030 and 2040. And so I think we'll be able to be like a, a key component of the very infrastructure of future cities. And ultimately, you can't do that in a year. No matter how fast your growth, you're only as fast as, as the cities can be built. I think we're working on lots of these new developments. I think that we'll be you know, part of the very DNA of all future uh, urban infrastructure and development projects. Interesting. Thanks a lot for joining me. Great. Pleasure to talk to you. Thanks so much. Cheers. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please leave us a review on the iTunes store. If you're listening on an Apple device, it helps us out massively. And subscribe to hear about all the other exciting new emerging technologies we're going to uncover next. If you've got any examples of any companies or technology that we should be speaking to, then also please let me know. I'll leave all the ways of getting in contact with me down in the show notes. Thanks.